Well, I'm thankful to be back among you all. I told my traveling companions, my mom is here, my aunt, my grandmother, and last time we came, my mom and grandmother both were here. And uh, I said, this church is fun and spiritual, and <laughs> I just always look forward to coming here. I really do. And I, I pray tonight that we'll be used by the Lord, as was already said. I want to tell you, just so you'll know you're not bothering me, if, if you get too hot and need to go on the porch, you won't bother me one bit. Open the door and stick one of those chairs out there, and I don't want anybody hurting themselves. Because we're not, we're not as tough as some of y'all's generation used to be, brother. I, we're, but seriously, you won't bother me if you need to cool off or something. Uh, not a bit. I'm thankful to be here. I want to preach tonight that the message that I feel like the Lord put on my heart is a warrior's heart. A warrior's heart. We'll look at a familiar story of King David. If you want to turn with me to 1 Samuel 17. And as you're turning over there, I'm going to move that just a little bit so my pages don't. There we go. Um, 1 Samuel 17 is where we'll read, but I want to remind us of a psalm, actually a proverb, Proverbs 28.1. The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. Another way you could read that would be the wicked run away when nobody's even chasing them, but the godly are as bold as lions. I don't know about you all, but more and more I feel like a growing desire in my heart for boldness. Not what people think is boldness sometimes, and I may talk about this in the message. I'm not talking about stubbornness or southern defiance that goes back to some of our roots. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about boldness because we know who we're dependent on. The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. I want to be more bold. And I want God to raise up some bold lions. I want Him to raise up people with warriors' hearts to serve Him. And that's part of why we're here tonight. You could have stayed home, been more comfortable. But we come to church to be reminded of His truths and and prayerfully to get strength to go into the world and do what we're supposed to. Our world's messed up. And I don't want to dwell on that. Because greater is He that's in you than he that's in the world. But I tell you what, I never thought ten years ago that we'd be where we are in this part of the world now. I never thought it could have progressed that far in ten years. I'm talking about worldview and mindsets and sin being normalized. Unnatural things being treated as natural. Things that don't even make sense. That we're supposed to accept it as normal. And not just normal, but heroic. Let me tell you, willfully engaging in your sin is not heroic. Amen. Choosing a, quote, identity that God didn't give you when you were born is not heroic. And y'all adults, I'm, I'm saying this carefully for the children, but you understand what I'm saying. We, we live in a world that's like turned upside down. And I... It'd be better not to speak of these things that are done by them in secret. That's what the Bible says, but it's necessary. Let me tell you why. Because we're at war. Yes, sir. Yeah. We're at war. Yeah. Right. 
Paul wrote to young Timothy and said, No man that warreth entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may be a good soldier to him who called him. Or no one serving as a soldier gets mixed up in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Listen, the reason we have to know about these evils, the reason we have to realize they're there, the reason we have to be aware of them is because that is the warfare that we're in. The battles that God has called us to face. And that's where we need to be expending our energy in prayer and in focus and in saying, Lord, what do you want me to do about it? How can I pray about it? How can I stand? That's part of the battle. When he says no man serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, there's a... I'm not a soldier. I'm not a brawler. I'm not a, a fighter. We were talking about that on the way up, and the closest I've come to being in a fight recently, I, I think it bears repeating. I was at an outdoor concert in Nashville, and it, it was there were some crazy things happening. This was a few years ago, and there was a big old boy back behind me doing some things he shouldn't have, harassing some young girls in front of me. And I stepped in between them, just... I guess it was dumb, but I could not... These were, they were like 14, 15-year-old girls. And this guy was started yelling a bunch of things at the side of my head that he shouldn't have been saying. And of course, that like fighting spirit in me was welling up. But then, I'm not... Look, I'm, just, I'm not that big. I'm not that mean or strong. And I said, what am I going to do if I actually fight with this? He was bigger than anybody in this room. And I thought, well, what am I going to do? I still should have stood, I still should have done what I did. It was right. That's my point. It was right. But what I, th- I thought, Lord, I don't know what to do because I, I, don't, I'm not even, I don't even know how to fight. So I reached over and gave this guy a hug. I'm not kidding. And uh, he said, I'm sorry, brother. I said, it's, it's okay. You know. That's not usually how we win battles. <laughs> but sometimes the Lord teaches us to be as subtle or as, as, as harmless as, as doves and, and wise as serpents. Amen. Wise as serpents, harmless as doves. I knew I didn't have the physical capacity to take this guy. I had to come up with something else. Brothers and sisters, there's an evil war going on around us that some of us may not be physically strong enough to battle, but the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty to the tearing down of strongholds. Amen. Our God who's in us and who is for us and who will fight for us knows... How to win these battles. Amen. And that's what I want to remind us of tonight. We're, we're fat fighting not just for an American way of life or for a southern way of life. We're fighting for our children and their grandchildren, our grandchildren, to be able to worship. Amen. Period. The ability to worship freely could go away in our lifetimes if we don't stand. Amen. Wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. There's a doctrine that's been going around for a while. My whole life I've been hearing it about tolerance. Tolerance, basically you should make people feel comfortable. You don't want to hurt their feelings. Because if you hurt their feelings, they won't listen to you. And, and that's, it rubs off on people. And the longer you spend in the school system, the more it rubs off on you. I went to Western Kentucky University and got a degree there, and a lot of that stuff, even though I came from a um, reasonable, 
conservative, Bible-focused family, that stuff still rubs off on you. I'm not talking about crazy things, but I'm talking about maybe I don't say something as boldly or as clearly as I should because I've been conditioned, if I hurt your feelings, you won't listen. I went to an event recently for my job, and I won't get into the details because I guess it could be too political, but one of the representatives got up and spoke so boldly, a woman. And it did something inside my heart. And I realized what she did was right. She didn't mince her words. She didn't try to tiptoe around and do the politician thing and never really say what they mean. Never really answer. She answered. You know what she said? This is how we are in Tennessee. This is what we're fighting for. If you don't like it, you can go back to New York or California. That's what she said. And I thought, what boldness. It it warmed my heart. It reminded me we are called as God's people. Now, maybe we don't always have to say it that hard, but we need to be willing to stand. She wasn't afraid of losing her civil appointment, her job. That's, it wasn't about getting reelected. It was, I've been put here to represent my constituents. This is what they believe. This is what I'm standing for. Period. And I told her after the meeting, I went up and said, I want to tell you, you don't know me, but I'm going to be praying for you. Because all throughout history, God has put people in between oppressive regimes and people who want to worship and be free. He's always put people in between to protect them. And you're in that position. That's why we should pray for our leaders. I think it's okay for us to pray for God to take the evil ones out. David prayed. That's part of a warrior's heart. I'm not going to pray blessings on somebody who, who is trying to destroy a biblical way of life, who hates everything of God, who has an anti-biblical worldview. I'm going to pray for God to remove that person and put somebody godly in their place. That's appropriate. I don't want anything bad to happen to them. I'm not talking about being vindictive or mean. I'm talking about, Lord, let your kingdom come and your will be done. And if our heart starts there, where's your kingdom, what is your will, Lord? If we start there and we realize we're in a battle, we're warriors, we're called for a spiritual war, (laughs) whether you like it or not, you're saved by God's grace, you're in His spiritual army. Let's look at one of my favorite soldiers of God, the warrior's heart that he had. The reason I want to look at David is because... I think he's the only one in Scripture that is referred to as a man after God's own heart. When he rejected, when the Lord rejected Saul as king and chose David, who was still a young shepherd, it was said that I've chosen David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. Let's see what a man after the heart of God, how he behaves, how he lives, what he does. This will be familiar, but we still want to read it, revisit it. 17th chapter of 1 Samuel. Now the Philistines gathered together their armies to battle and were gathered together at Shokah, which belonged to Judah, and pitched between Shokah and Azekah in Ephestimim. And Saul, the men, and I'm, those cities, we don't know exactly where they're, that's okay. Don't get hung up on the names. These people are going to battle, that's the point. Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and and pitched by the valley of Elah and set the battle in array against the Philistines. 
The Philistines stood on a mountain on one side, and Israel stood on a mountain on the other. There was a valley in between them. And there went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath, whose height was six cubits and a span. You know how tall that is? Any of you kids know how tall that is? Six cubits, and we don't use cubits anymore. But if the cubit that I'm thinking of is right, he was almost ten feet tall. He was about nine foot nine or maybe taller. The tallest person I can think of, somebody like Shaquille O'Neal, basketball player, or I don't know what tall basketball players they have now, but he wasn't that tall compared to Goliath. Almost ten feet tall. And he held a helmet of brass upon his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. The weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of brass, 125 pounds. Just what he wore around his torso. That's a big guy. And he had greaves of brass upon his legs and target of brass between his shoulders. And the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam. Imagine like a 4 by 4 a big post, that big. And his spear head weighed 600 shekels of iron. That's 15 pounds. Any of y'all hunt with bows? How much does that head of the arrow weigh? Not, it don't even weigh a pound. What, maybe an ounce or two? 15 pound head on that spear. Why am I dwelling on this? Because this man was the enemy of the people of God. He was more powerful. He was bigger. He was mightier. He had weapons that they, didn't even, they weren't even able to use. None of them were big enough to even use as weapons. No, they, they weren't big enough to throw a spear effectively that, that was bit, that big. They weren't big enough to wear that coat of... It would have weighted them down where they couldn't do anything. That's how big he was. But God's bigger. That's the point of the story. You know the story, but we want to revisit it. He stood and cried or yelled unto the armies of Israel and said unto them, Why are you come out to set your battle in array? Am I not a Philistine and you servants of Saul? Choose you a man for you and let him come down to me. Sometimes we lose some of the story in this older language, so I'm just going to paraphrase some of this. He says, why are you even out here? This is hopeless and you're wasting your time. Nothing you can do will defeat our armies. You're just wasting your time. Let's get this over with quickly. Let's save some of your lives. Let's spare your brothers. Pick the best warrior you have. Send him out to fight me and whoever wins will win the army, the, the battle. Let's just get it over with because you know you can't win anyway. You ever encounter an enemy, brother or sister? You ever encounter an enemy that makes you feel that way or speaks to you like that? Or maybe the thoughts in your own head or the noise in our culture? Or listen, you young people and young women especially, there's so many false voices that tell you you're not enough and you need to do this or that and you need to look different. You need to try this. You're enough because you were made in the image of God. What could be better than that? Fearfully and wonderfully made. I tell my little baby that. She's only six months old now. I tell her that. You're made in God's image. You're beautiful because you're made in His image. It's beautiful anyway. Anybody thinks so, but it's deeper than that. You're made by a holy God, a Creator. We have to remember some of these people around us have been trained their whole lives that there's no purpose, nothing matters, there is no truth, that they're just descended from a brute life form from primordial soup. 
and there's no morality and nothing matters. How would you feel if that's what you actually believed? We believe, and we should teach it, that we're recent creations of a holy God. Not evolved from some other life form. We're actually made in the image of the divine. We start to put it in perspective. We start to realize the Goliaths aren't as big and powerful as they think they are. And the reason for that is our God is bigger than them. That's why. He says, if he's able to fight with me, ninth verse, and kill me, then we will be your servants. And if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard those words of the Philistines, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Do you remember King Saul? Do you remember why they made him king? He was the best warrior around. He was head and shoulders taller than anybody else. All the average people, I don't know how tall they were, but whatever height they were, he was a whole like foot taller than them. He was the, the specimen of a man. He was the one. And even he was terrified. Dismayed and greatly afraid. Now David was the son of that Ephrathite of Bethlehem Judah whose name was Jesse. He had eight sons and the men, the man went among men for an old man in the days of Saul. And the three eldest sons of Jesse went and followed Saul to battle. The names of his three sons that went to the battle were Eliab the firstborn, next unto him Abinadab, and the third Shammah. David was the youngest, and the three eldest followed Saul, but David went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. Before we finish the Philistine story, I want to remind you what happened to David. He's the youngest in a culture which means you're the least important. And the prophet Samuel came to his father's house to anoint the new king of Israel and passed over every one of his older brothers. And this is what the Lord told Samuel. He said, The Lord, Lord said unto Samuel, Do not look on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. He said, I've, I'm choosing a man who's going to have a heart for me. You already tried appointing your own king who was physically powerful and a good leader and probably attractive and all. You tried it your way. Now I'm picking a man who's going to have a heart for me. And he doesn't look like you think he should look. He's not as tall as you think he should be. He's not as old as you think he should be. He doesn't have the training you think he should have. He doesn't have the birth order. He's not from the family that you would pick. But I don't see like men see. I look on the heart. Let me tell you something. You know this. You've heard it. But the Word of God, which is Jesus Christ, pierces right down inside in between flesh and bone and spirit to the very heart of a man or woman or child and is a discerner of the intents and thoughts of the heart. There's nothing hidden from Him. When God begins to deal with your heart, you can't hide. And brother or sister, if you're saved by God's grace and you're supposed to stand for something and you're not... You can't hide from that. The Lord knows. He knows when we're cowards, and I am sometimes. He knows when we don't have the faith we should have, when we don't have the courage we should have. God knows. He doesn't see as men see. And here's part of what's encouraging in that for me. God doesn't expect me to be stronger than I can be. 
He doesn't expect me to be taller than I am, or bigger than I am, or a better fighter than I am. You know what He wants from me and what He expects is for me to have a surrendered heart. A heart that's hungry for Him. A heart that needs Him. A heart that's aware of the reality that the weapons of our warfare aren't carnal. That there's nothing I could do in my flesh or in my mind or in anything that I possess in myself that has any eternal value. It's all in Christ. The fact that He sees me so clearly and knows me so well and sees through all the shells and facades is actually encouraging to me. Because I don't need to fake. I don't need to posture or pretend. I just need to be real and trust Him. That's what David did. David went, 15th verse, David went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. The least job. All the other ones are getting to be big warriors, do something important. David, he's just taking care of his father's sheep. The Philistine drew near morning and evening and presented himself for 40 days. Could you imagine? You ever been camped in the valley of indecision? <laughs> this reminds me of some of our recent, what's gone on recently in the world. 40 days. They're standing there. They're not going to battle. They're just getting tormented every day. Getting told every day how useless they are, how weak they are, how they can't prevail, how they can't win, how no matter what they do, it's, it's hopeless. We're going to kill you no matter what you do. You're going to die no matter what you do. Why are you even here? Every day for 40 days. And Jesse said unto David his son, Take now thy brethren an ephah of this parched corn and these ten loaves, and run to the camp to thy brethren, and carry these ten cheeses upon uh, unto the captain of their thousand, and look how your brethren fare and take their pledge. Now, so he's basically saying, go check on your brothers, take them some food, let me know how they're doing. David's, he's so unimportant, he's the errand boy. I mean, his job's basically like a, a servant. He's taking care of the sheep, running errands. He's already been anointed. And it didn't go to his head. He didn't say, no, oh, Dad, I'm, I'm the next king. That's not my job. He's already been chosen by God and he's still doing, he's still submitting himself. Amen. That's part of a warrior's heart. Yes, sir. Submitting yourself to the proper authority. And by the way, God is the proper authority. Amen. He's the one we should submit to. Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. David rose up early in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper and took and went as his father Jesse had commanded him, and he came to the, the trench as the host was going forth to the fight, shouted for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had put the battle in array, army against army. It's been 40 days of being tormented by this big giant, and finally they're about to go to war. A bunch of people are going to die. A whole bunch of them. And if the giant is right, all the Israelites are going to die. There's no hope. David left his carriage in the hand of the keeper of the carriage and ran into the army, came and saluted his brethren, and as he talked with them, behold, there came up the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistines, and spoke according to the same words, and David heard them. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were sore afraid. <laughs> we thought they were going to go to battle today, but they're not. They're too scared. They have been, I want us to get this part, they have been in a rut, entrenched, 
in a pattern, in a habit so long that every day they go out, they try, they get scared, run away. Run away. David comes. He's been somewhere else. He hasn't been hearing the same noisy voices. You know where he's been? Alone with God in the wilderness in the fields with the sheep. He hasn't been hearing the false voices saying, you're not good enough, you're not strong enough, you can't do it, your God's a joke. He hasn't been hearing any of that. He's been finding out what the real God is like. The men are running. The men of Israel said, If you've seen this man that's come up, surely defy Israel as he come up, and it shall be that the man who killeth him, the king will enrich him with great riches and will give them his daughter, give him his daughter, and make his father's house free in Israel. And David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine and taketh away the reproach from Israel? Listen to this perspective. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? These men have been encamped against... They're trying to stand in their own strength, in their own methods of war, doing things the way they think it will work, and every day they're failing. Every day is a discouragement. Every day the false voices are beating them down more and more. David comes from somewhere else with fresh eyes, a fresh heart, a heart after God. Renewed. Comes in among them, all these discouraged, beaten down people, and says, who does this guy think he is? He's not thinking about how big he is, how tall, nothing. It reminds me of when Caleb and Joshua and the other ten unfaithful explorers went into the promised land. They all came back and said, there's giants in that land. Caleb and Joshua came back and said, there's really big fruit over there. (laughs) That's what God can do for us. Oh yeah, there were giants, but they were thinking about the grapes that were so big, one bunch of them had to be carried with two people. They brought some back. It's what God can do. It doesn't matter how big our enemy is. It doesn't matter how powerful they think they are. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? The people answered him after this manner, saying, So shall it be done to him that killed them. They told him what would happen. The king would give him his daughter and free his family, all that. And Eliab, his eldest, eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, Why comest thou down hither, and with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? Listen to this. I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thy heart, for thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. Sometimes, brothers and sisters, when we stand for the right thing, the very people that we think would support us are the ones who hurt us most. Sometimes when we do what we know in our hearts is right, the very people that should be standing with us are completely misunderstanding the intent of our heart, accusing us of things that aren't even true. If we're not careful, sometimes we might do the same thing to other people as well. We need to be careful by God's grace to not judge the intent of a person's heart unless we're sure. David was there because he submitted himself to his father's instruction. He wasn't there as a curious kid who just wanted to see the battle. He was there because his dad told him to be. And he brought his brothers some food and check on them. And his, his brother... Now, maybe his... I don't know how much his brothers knew about what was coming. Maybe they knew he was chosen and they weren't. Maybe they already knew that. I'm not sure. But they probably knew there was something different. Something special about it. And they, they were jealous. 
sometimes God has a job for you and other people, they don't like it. He accused him of things that weren't true. David said, I love this. He doesn't attack back. He doesn't say, well, you say that about me. Well, I can say this about you. You're this way. Don't we do that sometimes? Yes, sir. Yeah, that might be true about me, but I know what you did, this or that. This is what he does. What have I done? Is there not a cause? Brothers and sisters, there's still a cause. And we need to stand, and it doesn't matter if somebody doesn't understand it or it hurts their feelings or it makes them uncomfortable. We need to stand for what the Lord has shown us is right. Period. He turned from him. I love this. He doesn't get discouraged. He doesn't get dissuaded. He doesn't get distracted. All these other people are running. Their hearts are melting in them like they're just water. Their knees are shaking and knocking together. David's own older brother accuses him of something that's not true. And he realizes this guy doesn't get it. And he turns immediately from him toward another person and spoke after the same manner. And the people answered him again after the four. He's going person to person to person until he can try to find somebody who has some kind of faith saying, Brother, isn't there a cause? What is this uncircumcised Philistine doing? Who does he think he is? Why are you afraid? Person to person. And when the words were heard, which he's going around to so many people that it causes an uproar that people go to the king and say, listen, this little upstart is here going around to everybody trying to get them riled up for battle saying, what's going on? I love that. Sometimes God has a job for His people. Maybe it requires you to go before the king, before a big world leader. You may not, it might not be your job to figure out how to get there. Like Joseph. It wasn't his job to figure out how to become second in command in Egypt. His only job was to be faithful. If you knew that God had chosen for you what's going to happen in your life and ultimately I want you to be second in command of the most powerful empire in the region, how would you have chosen a path to get there? It wouldn't have involved being sold into slavery, being imprisoned, being falsely accused. But Joseph didn't know any of that. Not really. He had some premonitions of it from the the Lord. But what he knew was, I need to stand for what's right. I need to keep my eyes on the Lord. Same with David. David wasn't figuring out, how can I get to King Saul? He just couldn't help himself. And there are times, my brothers and sisters, when the world is railing against God to such a degree that it should completely just, it should astonish us. And we should have this heart of David. This is a warrior's heart. Is there not a cause? What's going on? Why are we afraid of this guy? David was sent for by Saul. In the 32nd verse, David said to Saul, (laughs) I love this. This is not arrogance. This is boldness that is founded in God. His boldness comes from knowing who he is and whose he is. David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him, the Philistine. Thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. (laughs) Could you imagine? This guy, I don't know exactly how old he was, but maybe 18 or something like that. He's still a youth, he's still ready. Still can't grow a good beard. Doesn't have a beard like that one. He comes to the king who's head and shoulders taller than anybody else. 
The king says, basically, I've been hearing you say this. What is going on? He says, don't worry. Nobody needs to be afraid. I'm going to kill this guy. A warrior's heart. A man after God's own heart. You know, one reason he had this boldness, I'll talk about this some more maybe, one reason he had this boldness is he wasn't thinking about himself. He wasn't thinking about how I'm going to do it in my own strength. Listen to this. Saul said to David, Thou art not able to go against him, this Philistine, and fight with him, for thou art but a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. David has had another opportunity to be discouraged. And his eyes are so fixed on the Lord that he can't be discouraged. I I would imagine the king, who has killed his thousands, he knows something about war. I mean... David was probably taught to respect his elders and listen to people who are wiser than him and who've had the experience and who know what they're talking about. Saul told him, look, this isn't possible. David knew better. He had experiences with God that taught him better. David said unto Saul, thy servant kept his father's sheep. There came a lion and a bear, took a lamb out of the flock, and I went out after him and smote him delivered out of his mouth, and when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing that he has defied the armies of the living God. David wasn't a wimp. Oh, he was a man. He was a warrior. He had a warrior's heart. He had a heart after God. Listen, men, it's okay for us to be men. Young men, it's okay for you to be men. Don't let this culture... I'm not talking about being Melchauvinist or arrogant or violent. None of that. I'm talking about being a man and standing for what matters. Protecting the people around you that you are called to protect as a man. Whether somebody thinks you're bigoted or or any... It doesn't matter what they think about you. It's our job. Men. And we know we're not talking just about physical things. When my little girl was born, you know, that's a a, a love that is different than anything until you experience it. I love my wife, but it's decisional. Every day, you you decide. You've made a promise, you're going to do it. And sometimes it feels really nice and happy, and sometimes it's more work than others. But that baby, she laid it in my arms, a helpless baby. There was something in my heart that I never felt before. And the only way I knew how to process it was these two things. I would die for you, I would kill for you. That's true. But as a man, it's also my job to protect her spiritually. Maybe even more importantly. And emotionally psychologically protect her from bad influences and protect her from the lions and the bears of the world and it's my job as a preacher to help protect you all your pastor's job and some of you that's part of our job it's okay to stand even if we're unpopular we hurt people's feelings or the culture around us doesn't like it it's okay we need to keep our eyes on Jesus we need I want to I don't think I've ever been this bold I want to be I want to be able to say, you don't have to worry about it. God delivered me out of this other thing. He'll fix this. Do you, what kind of a man was he to catch a lion by his 
his beard. I mean, these guys are running from a giant. I don't. I think a lion might be scarier than a Philistine. I want to see this. Read this again. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them. Why? Not because David doesn't like him or because David's a great warrior. He says, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. That's all David cares about. God's glory, God's name, God's honor. Who does this person think he is? David said, moreover, and this shows you the condition of his heart, that he knew his strength came from the Lord and not from his own preparations or anything he'd done. David said, Moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, He will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said unto David, Go, the Lord be with thee. We're just reading some words here, but you think about the power of God that must have been with David to convince the king to let him do this. This is nuts. This is a suicide mission, according to to the, the mind. David's not even a trained soldier. He doesn't even know how to go to battle. His poor guy doesn't even have armor. Saul armed David with his armor, put a helmet of brass upon his head, armed him with a coat of mail, and David girded the sword upon his armor, and he essayed to go, for he had not proved it. And David said unto Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not proved them. David took them off. (laughs) The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty to tear down strongholds. David had weapons that he was used to, that were tried and proven in his hands, that God would use to protect him and deliver his people, that weren't the weapons of war that were expected. Brothers and sisters, we're in battle, as I've already said, and the weapons must come from God. Because this is a battle that we see the effects of it with our eyes, but we don't see the battle with our natural eyes. We see the results. We see the... The collateral damage, we see the backlash, we see the hurt and the sorrow, but the actual battle is unseen. We can only see it with eyes of faith and with our hearts, our spirits. David took his staff in his hand, this is his shepherd's stick, chose five smooth stones out of the brook, put them in a shepherd's bag which he had, even in the scrip, and his sling was in his hand and he drew near to the Philistine. I love this, that God gave David what he needed from what was already around him. He didn't need any special weapons. He got some rocks out of a creek. What would you pick if you were going to go kill the most powerful warrior? Oh, here's some rocks. Those will be just fine. That's what he knew how to use. I hope that's an encouragement to us that we don't have to equip ourselves with weapons that we don't know how to use yet. God will use what we're able to use as long as we keep our eyes on Him. Sometimes young people, maybe old people too, feel like, well, I can't do this or that. I'm not prepared. I'm not qualified. I'm not ready. Remember what the Lord told Moses? Moses said, I can't even speak. He said, I'll be with your mouth. Isaiah said, I can't. I'll go for you, but I can't because I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the land of people of unclean lips. The Lord cleaned His lips up. God gives us everything we need. David put these stones in his bag. 
sling, drew near to the Philistine. The Philistine came on and drew near unto David, and the man that bare the shield went before him. When the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth and ruddy and of fair countenance. This warrior, this man of war, this giant, looked at David like he was a joke. It was a joke to him. The Philistine said unto David, Am I a dog that thou comest to me with staves? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me and I will give your flesh to the fowls of the air and the beasts of the field. Then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield. But I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. Oh, I love that. He doesn't say, I come to you in the name of my sling. And No. Eyes on God. This day will the Lord deliver thee into my hand, and I will smite thee and take thy head from thee, and will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air, and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know there is a God in Israel. This is why David was bold. This is why he was a man after God's heart. This is what I mean when I say I pray God would give us warriors' hearts. Not brawlers' hearts. We're not supposed to be brawl. We're not supposed to like fighting. But men who are willing to stand. And women too. People, anybody who knows the Lord. Willing to stand. Look at this confidence. There's no wavering. There is no like, I'm going to do my best and see what happens. You know, all, all the Lord wants is a good F participation trophy, all that. No. David says, you're going to die, I'm going to kill you, and I'm going to cut your head off. You know, all the times I've read this and preached on this, I never realized he told Goliath ahead of time he was going to cut his head off. That's how confident he was in the power of God. Why does he want to do it? Why does he care? Why does he want to win? For glory and fame and honor, to get the wife, the king's daughter, that was a big deal back then. To have lands, no. He says, I want to do this, period. That's it, the only reason that all the earth may know there's a God in Israel. All David is concerned about is the honor of God, the, care, the name of God, the glory of God. Brothers and sisters, these battles that we face... Whatever it is we're doing, whatever we're dealing with, whoever it is that we think is our enemy and there's a bigger enemy behind them, we have to remember that all of it, if we keep our eyes on God and fight for His glory, that's what's necessary. And that's what's going to deliver us. Only the power of God. All this assembly shall know that the Lord saves not with a sword and not with a spear, a spear for the battle is the Lord's and He will give you into our hands. Remember Jesus teaching His disciples? I'll paraphrase. You have not because you ask not. Anything that you ask in faith without wavering, I will give you. This is an example of that. David was completely unwavering because his confidence was in God, not in himself. His faith was in the Lord Jehovah, not in his own ability to deliver. It came to pass when the Philistines arose and came and drew near to meet David, and David hasted, ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. No hesitation. That's what so got in my heart about 
that representative I mentioned to you, when she spoke with such boldness, there was no hesitation. There was no, i got to be careful how I say this so I can get reelected. It was, this is what I believe, what matters, I'm standing for it. Deal with it. I want to be more like that. We can still be kind. That's okay, but I want to, I want to stand. I want us to stand. Haste into battle. David put his hand in his bag, took from there a stone, slang it, smote the Philistine in his forehead. The stone sunk into his forehead. He fell upon his face to the earth. Now, David is fighting with the power of God, with his faith in God, with his trust in God, but he's not doing something he's never done before. He knows how to use this weapon. He's practiced. He used it to kill animals who were trying to kill his father's sheep. He's, you got to be a good shot to be running toward a moving target, sling it, hit him in the forehead. Yeah, that'd be tough to do with a gun, much less a sling. Why do I say that? Because whatever weapons God gives us, and this is the best weapon we have, this book, the Word of God. We need to use it. We need to know how to use it. We need to know how to use it in battle. We need to know how to use it under pressure. We need to know how to use it in the face of danger, in the face of death, in the face of threats and noisy voices and lies. And there's a whole bunch of that around us. Stone sunk into his forehead, he fell upon his face to the earth. Face forward. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, and smote the Philistine and slew him. There was no sword in the hand of David. <laughs> what, what kind of man goes to battle without a sword? It's not what he was used to. He never had a sword when he was in the field. He had what he was used to, what God used. So David ran, stood upon the Philistine. I, this is a, it's one of my favorite stories in the whole Bible. This boldness. This, I'll just read it. Stood upon the Philistine, takes his sword, draws it out of the sheath, kills him, chops off his head, and when the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. When we keep our eyes on the Lord and fight for the right reasons and with the right heart, He can defeat our enemies in such a way that it motivates everybody around us to do what they should do. That's what happened here. When the men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted and pursued the, these same guys, there's still all these giants. There's just one less. Now they're chasing them to kill them. All because of the courage of one man keeping his eyes on God. The men of Israel arose, shouted, pursued the Philistines until uh, coming to the valley and the gates of Ekron. And the wounded of the Philistines fell down by the way of Sherem, even unto Gath and unto Ekron. The children of Israel returned from chasing after the Philistines, and they spoiled their tents. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put his armor in his tent. And when Saul saw David go forth against the Philistine, he said unto Abner, the captain of the host, Whose son is this youth? And Abner said, As thy soul liveth, O king, I cannot tell. And the king said, Inquire whose son this is. And David returned from the slaughter of the Philistines. Abner took him, brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. And Saul said to him, Whose son art thou, thou young man? And David answered, I am the son of thy servant Jesse the Bethlehemite. How important was he? The king didn't even know who it was that just saved their lives. It's not about us. 
It's not about our name. It's not about our reputation. It's about the name of the Lord. It's about these people defying the armies of God. His plans, His ways. We should get riled up about some of this evil. We should get upset about it. Things that are going on in schools and in the curriculum and in classrooms and bathrooms. And we should be upset. And it's okay to be upset. God, what kind of men would we be if we weren't upset? And parents, mothers and women. It's okay. What we do about it is what matters. Now, you may think David's not very civilized carrying a vanquished enemy's head around with him. He was a warrior. I want to tell you something. I haven't been a soldier, a Marine. I've spent a, over a decade working with them. And I have a very deep respect. War changes you. It changes you. David, this changed David. We're called to be warriors, to be soldiers. It'll change us. There'll be brokenness, but there'll be victories. There'll be weakness that we realize in ourselves, but we'll realize we can get strength from God. If we keep our eyes on Him and remember that He's the one, the battle is the Lord's. I, I hope this is an encouragement. I, I've spent a lot of time on this, this story that's probably a familiar Sunday school story, but I don't know if we realize how raw it was, how real it was, and what a man this man was. Chops the guy's head off and carries it around with him. That's God wants to enable us to defeat our enemies with the same kind of certainty. I'm talking about spiritual warfare. To use us to destroy the enemies of God through prayer, through standing, through preaching, through knowing the truth, through knowing why we care, why we believe what we believe. The glory of God, that's what matters. I hope this is an encouragement. I want to say... Um, if you think this is a weird message or unusual, listen, our God is not civilized. Not like that. He's the creator of the ends of the earth who doesn't grow weary, who doesn't faint. He made all of this, but He's not fit into our little societal boxes where He has to behave a certain way. Jesus is going to come back one day on a white horse and destroy this place. He's not a wimp. And I'm afraid sometimes people don't listen to the hope of God because they don't understand the justice and the power and the destruction that God can bring. They've never been warned to flee from the wrath to come. The hope doesn't matter to them if they don't realize there's wrath to flee from. There's destruction to flee from. What do I need to be saved from? From the wrath of Almighty God. And I want to tell you, if you're here, you're listening to this later, maybe there's something that's been said that the Lord used to strike something in your heart to, to get you kind of stirred up and, and wondering about your own condition. When God deals with you, seek Him. You can have peace and you can become a warrior for Him. Our lives, that, they're not about our comfort or just sitting around doing what we want or being happy. We, we've got work to do, brothers and sisters. And I want you all to pray for me that I'll do it. And I'll, I'll try to pray for you all that you will. But that work, it starts with salvation and it starts with the Lord has to use us. He has to lead us. We've got to keep our eyes on Him. God bless you all. I love you. And I, I pray that the Lord would help all of us to labor for Him.